that Jesus is greater than anybody, greater than anything. He is the greatest. That's what it's telling us in Hebrews chapter 1. And he says that he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And because of that, that the Father anointed him with the oil of gladness or the oil of joy. And we talked last week how that joy, that oil was a sweet-smelling savor. And that if we're going to be a church that ministers in this time, that we've got to be a church that has the oil of joy. That means we got to smell good. We got to can't have a stank attitude when we're ministering to people, but we got to have the oil of joy. It ought to be our pleasure to serve. It ought to be our pleasure to love. And people got to smell us coming. So you can smell a rat from a distance, can't you? So, but you got to smell the anointing from a distance. You got to smell the people of God coming from a distance. And that oil of joy was put on Jesus. And the good news for us is that oil of joy was also placed upon us by Christ himself. Are you with me? So we got to understand that Jesus came down to earth, but the Bible says that he went back to the Father and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But Ephesians 2 and 6 also tells us thus that we are raised up. Somebody say up. And seated with Christ in heavenly places. In other words, that Christ is no longer down here on earth, but he's now in heaven. And he's seated with God in heavenly places. And now we're with him because if we are in Christ, we're with him. The point is that we have to live at his level, not down on our level. You see what I'm saying? See, we've seen the big stuff, right? We've seen that Jesus operates in fullness of joy, but we've got to understand what is it going to take for us to operate at that same level? Because Jesus doesn't operate on our level, he operates on his level. Somebody said, we got to get on his level. We got to operate the way that he operates. We got to love the way he loves. We got to have the peace that he has. We got to have the joy that he has. Now, we may not have it in the measure he has, but we, our joy has got to be full. Somebody shout full. I want to go back to the Christian definition of joy, and it says this, Christian joy is a good feeling, good feeling. It's good to feel good, all right? It's okay to feel good. Joy is an internal feeling. In the soul, it's produced by the Holy Spirit, all right? And as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. In other words, it's, I feel good on the inside, right? I've got gladness on the inside because the Holy Spirit allows me to see who Jesus is. He allows me to see that he's bigger and better than anything, anyone, whatever. Therefore, when I see that, I can not only see it in the book, in the word, but I can see it in the world in which I live in, Right? And when I understand that he's bigger and better and that he's with me and I am in him, there's nothing else that I got to fear. There's nothing else I got to worry about. Right? And therefore, I can have joy. This is the Christian definition of joy. Why is that important? Jesus here in John chapter 15 is starting what we call his uh, farewell dis discourse when he's saying, I'm getting ready to be crucified. So he was getting ready to die and give himself uh, up on the cross. But he wanted his disciples to know that he loved them, he was focused on them, and he knew that what they were going to go through would be challenging, but he cared for them. All right? It's important for us to take a side note. It's not a major point, but I want us to understand that Jesus cares about what we go through. Okay? He cares about our well-being. Somebody needs to hear that today. He cares about our well-being. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. And so he makes this statement. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And so he makes a statement that th those that were with him understood because Israel historically was, was supposed to be the vine. All right? 
The children of Israel, the Jewish nation, was supposed to be the vine. Uh, and, and in Psalms chapter 80 and Isaiah chapter 5, he lays this out. So Israel, God says, I, I made you the vine, right? And, and I, I cleaned out the territory, and there was no weeds, no nothing. It was a perfect situation, and I planted you to be the vine. And so he said, I put a water tower there, and I put a wine press there, because I was expecting, because everything was perfect now, I was expecting to get good fruit, right? And so everything was perfect, nothing wrong. I placed you here expecting to get good fruit. But instead of getting good fruit, I got wild fruit. She's what you're saying. So, so Israel, I placed you here to produce good fruit, but I got wild fruit. Instead of getting justice, I got oppression. Instead of getting righteousness, I got a cry for help. This is what God is saying. So I, I put you here as the vine. So we can relate to it, you know, some of us parents who have children that may be a little bit older, right? You did everything you could for them, right? See, we're trying to relate now. We did everything you could, right? You put them in the best schools. Uh-huh. <laughs> you did. Uh-huh. You put them in all the sports, basketball, football, a dance, ballet. You did all that stuff for them. You did everything you possibly could for them. And you expected to see some good fruit. But some of us got wild. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You, you thought you did everything you possibly could. I mean, you had everything situated. You put them there. And, yep, you did, and they wild. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of us, our spouse. Spouse a little bit wild. You know what I'm saying? You did everything you could. <laughs> you went to work every day. You tried to pay all the bills. You tried to cook and clean. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody's going to be a witness to what I'm saying. You did everything you possibly could, but they were still wild. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is what he said. I did everything I could for you. What, what did I not do? This is what he says in Isaiah chapter 5. What did I not do? I did everything I could for you, but you turned out wild. So that's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. See, because his point is that what Israel could not be he is. Okay? And so what that tells to us is that what we need to be and can't be, he still is. <laughs> See, we need to be patient. And for some of us, we just can't do it. But guess what? He is. <laughs> we need to be forgiving. For some of us, we can't do it. But guess what? He is. Are you following? So he said, I am the true vine. This is what he says, that what you could not be, I am. So point number one is to keep our joy full, we got to keep Christ central. To keep our joy full, we got to keep Christ central. So he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. See, we got to stay connected to him because he's the vine, and we are the branches, and it's not the other way around. You see? See, we got to stay connected to him because he is the true vine and we are the branches. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. He says, without me, you will die. Right? Ask Adam and Eve. See, when they disobeyed, what happened? They died. So a key point here for us under this is my life is really not about me. Somebody shout that. My life is not about me. Oh, that was quiet. Say, my life is not about me. <laughs> see, see we, we get depressed 
And we get excessively angry. Anybody ever get depressed or excessively angry? It's okay. Because our life is about us. <laughs> See, whenever our life is about us, this is exactly what's going to happen. You're going to get depressed and you're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated because it's about you. But here's the secret. God is divine. Jesus said, I am divine, and my father is the husbandman. See, see, God is going to do whatever he's going to do. See, I'm 47 years old, and I realize this now. God's going to do what he wants to do, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what I think about it. <laughs> see, see, this is the thing. He's not worried about what you and I think about it. He's not asking our permission because he don't need it. God is going to do whatever he is going to do. Some things are just going to happen. Come on and hear somebody. It's called life. <laughs> and some things are just going to happen. There's nothing that we can do about it. But when God does what he's going to do, as Brand says, we're going to be connected to the ups, to the downs, to the misunderstandings, the lefts and the rights that come with it. But remember, he is divine, and we are the branches. Jesus was getting ready to be crucified. He was getting ready to go on Calvary's cross to be crucified. And he knew that his disciples were going to have a problem with it or a challenge with it. But he knew that. That's why he's speaking to them. But let's look at how Judas. Judas said, this thing's about me. Judas took his money and ran because it was about him. It was never about Jesus. It was always about him. And so he went and he died because he hung himself because his sorrow overtook him. You see that? When it's about you, your sorrow is going to overtake you. But look at Peter. Peter wasn't perfect. Peter actually denied Jesus three times and was cussing while he did it. But Jesus fixed his eyes upon Peter, and Peter still realized, even though he denied it, it wasn't about him. It was ultimately about Jesus. And so Peter was able to hang in there and stay in there because it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. Let's check in with Thomas. Thomas said, I don't believe that he's risen. He said, unless I see it with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe. But Jesus didn't cut him off. He says, Thomas, you need to see it. But better are those who believe without seeing. But he was still there. In other words, Thomas had to realize, guess what? It's not about me, but this thing is about Jesus. And this is good news for some of us today because some of us are going through some stuff. Anybody going through anything? We're going through some hell and hot water in our lives. And sometimes it feels like we're running on empty, that my joy just is not full. But the good news is that for us today is that it's not about us. It's not about what you're going through in your family. Guess what? It's not about you. <laughs> yeah. What, what's happening on your job and everything's going crazy? Guess what? It ain't about you. <laughs> what's happening in your ministry? Guess what? It's not about you. And that, that's a weight off of our own shoulders. Because when we think it's about us, everything gets weighted down because I got to fix everything. I got to straighten everything out. I got to be the one to make sure this happens. And I got to be, and, and, and guess what? It's just not about you. Because some of us are carrying a weight that we don't need to be carrying. God's freeing somebody up today and saying that this is not about me. God, you're doing something bigger than me than what I can even understand. I don't even know what you're doing, but I guess what I know this. It's not about me. 
<laughs> this is what I'm talking about, freedom. This is where joy comes in, see? Because when I realize it ain't about me, I can walk differently. I don't got to be sagging on with somebody's burdens. I ain't got to carry my children, and I, and I don't got to carry my spouse, and, and I don't got to carry a whole ministry, and I don't got to carry people on a job anymore. And guess what? It ain't about me. Yeah, they may be talking about me, but guess what? It ain't about me. <laughs> When you realize that it's not about you, but it's about Jesus, that frees us up. See, it frees us up to be able to be who God's called us to be. He says, I am the true vine. Years ago, my wife and I went to a marriage retreat, and the couple was ministering. And the lady, you know, they were, she was probably in her 50s, and she was speaking. And she just said, you know, she had gained some weight and some things, and she had some feelings about herself. But she said, you know, her husband still reached out to her, if you know what I mean. And she was encouraging the women to say, if your husband is still reaching out to you, don't think about it as a problem. That's a good thing. I said amen. <laughs> if God is still reaching out to you, don't think about that as a problem. Think about that as a good thing. <laughs> if God is still touching you, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. If God is still showing up in your life, that's not a problem. <laughs> that is actually a good thing. You ought to be glad about it. <laughs> See, because God's eye is not someplace else. <laughs> ah, his eye is still upon you. See, part of the process of us getting to where we go is something called pruning. Somebody say pruning. When God reaches out to us, we got to stay connected to the pruning process. God's going to reach out to us, and he's going to try to touch some of the dead stuff that's in our lives. Stuff that's not producing fruit, God is going to try to cut that stuff off of us. So he's not reaching out to us to kill us. He's just cutting off some dead stuff. How many realize that we got some dead relationships? Some people that we're in a relationship, their relationship's been dead for years, but we're still hanging on to it. I got some bushes in my yard that are dead. They brown. They have nothing green on them. Haven't had anything green on him in two years. It's time for Tony Cyrus to get off his lazy butt and go pull those things up because they're making the house look ugly. They ain't producing a thing. God's got to prune off some dead works that we have in our lives. There's some work that we're doing not producing any fruit. Come on in here, somebody. Stuff we're doing over and over again religiously but ain't producing nothing. God said, yeah, I know it's hard for you, but you're going to have to cut some things off. When you prune, you got to also prune some stuff that is sick. Sick branches still take up resources that got to be applied someplace else. So we got to get rid of some sick stuff. Some of us still have some sick relationships. Talk to me here. Uh, you're still producing something, but is sick. <laughs> Come on now. It's still a sick, toxic relationship, if you know what I'm talking about. You're still producing some stuff, but it's sick. Some of us still got some sick mindsets that God's got to get rid of. Some stinking thinking that we still have about people and about processes and about a lot of things. There's stuff that's in our minds that's still sick, and God's got to touch us to prune it off of us. 
But also we got to realize that God has to cut off some good stuff. See, even when you prune, you got to cut off some good stuff. How many realize that? That good stuff's got to get pruned too. Because you can't get better if good's taking up the stuff that needs to go to better. How many realize that God's trying to do better in our lives? God's trying to get us to be better. And so we don't got to get mad when God comes in and is trying to take away good. We got to be glad because if God's taking away good, that means something's better is on the way. That's what that means. That means better is coming. God, you're taking away. Don't get upset about it. Don't don't lose lose your joy over it. Remember that something better is coming to your house. It's coming to your life. It's coming for us because it's a part of your destiny. God uses circumstances. We know that to, to prune us. Some of us have to go through some trying circumstances because God's going to prune us. But ultimately, God uses his word. Somebody say his word. To keep joy full, point number two, is we got to let the word abide. Somebody say, let the word abide. He says in verse 3, already, you are already clean by the word I have spoken to you. In other words, he's saying, y'all are clean because I'm spoken my word to you. Verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Let's talk about this word. See, Jesus was speaking to his disciples for a reason. He was giving them a word. He cared about them. But God's word often feels heavy and convicting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let's be real. Sometimes reading God's word is not pleasant. (laughs) Right? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. I ain't trying to hear that all the time. You know what I'm saying? Come on, you feel me? A soft word turns away wrath. (laughs) Come on, I got a hard word for you. I'm getting ready. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Flee, youthful lust. Come on in here. Anybody ain't trying to hear that all the time? (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Oh, come on in here. We trying to read the word? Reminds me in Nehemiah chapter 8, this is Ezra and the people was reading the word and Nehemiah was the governor and they were reading the law to the people. And the Bible says that the people stood up. There was a pulpit. This is where we get this idea of a pulpit. And he stood up and he was reading the law and the people were lifting up holy hands saying amen and amen to the reading of God's word. And the Bible says that the Levites, those who were trained in the law, they were helping to teach the people what the law really meant. And in this season, we got to get back to some training of what the law means, something we really got to see. We got to really understand what God is saying in this hour. Not just tote Bibles around, but really understanding what God means in his word. But anyway, the people were, were hearing what the word meant. And he says, this day is holy unto the Lord. But the Bible says that when they heard it, the people started crying. The people started mourning. Because as we can naturally think, they weren't living up to what the word was saying. You see what I'm saying? They, they knew that. They could sense that. And they were remorseful and they were mourning. But Nehemiah tells him in verse 10, he says, go your way. He says, eat the fat. In other words, go to Ruth Chris. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> he said, don't, don't stop at McDonald's. 
<laughs> no Burger King or Wendy's. You don't need a four for four for this one. He says, go, go to the best place that you know. Okay, cook up the best you have. He says, eat the fat. Then he says, drink the sweet. Get the best drink you can. Get a sweet tea. He says, yeah, get one of those. Then he says, send some to those that don't have something for their own selves. Because he says, this day is holy to our Lord. But then he says, he says do not sorrow. For the joy <laughs> of the Lord is your strength. See, that's powerful, see? Because when we read the word, the word often convicts us. And oftentimes we feel heavy. Sometimes we don't even open our Bibles because we feel that we're too far away. We know we've been smoking every night and God's calling us out of it. We've been smoking anyway. And so we don't even open up the word because we don't want to see anything convicting. You know that we're doing some stuff that we don't need to be doing. We don't even, we don't even want to know the word because we know it convicts us. But here we got to understand that God never speaks to us because he's trying to cut us down. God never speaks to us because he's trying to put us in our place. God never speaks to us because he's trying to belittle us or to intimidate us or he wants us to feel guilty or condemned. God never speaks to us that way. He speaks to us because he wants to cleanse us. He speaks to us because he wants to elevate us so that we can be who God has called for us to be. He never speaks to us harshly to condemn us and to, to make us feel less than and that we're not who we are supposed to be and that we are to feel guilty and we ought to be sorrowful and we ought to be broken and I can't come to church anymore because I haven't been living the way that I know that I need to be living and I can't show up and see Sister Delphine or somebody. He wants, the enemy wants us to think that way. But God never speaks to us to, to condemn us. He always speaks to us to lift us. He always speaks to us to encourage us. He always speaks to us to elevate us so that we can see who we are to be in him. He, he talks to us to encourage us, to let us know that we are his and that we are special and that our destiny is bigger and better than we can even ask or think. We got to let the word abide in us to cleanse us so that we can see the beauty of Christ. When that word comes forth, Christ is now elevated in us. The Holy Spirit illuminates who he is, and we can realize that, yes, I can get out of this. You see what I'm saying? When we get the word, he said, yes, I can break this. When we see the word and he says that he got up out the grave, nothing's bigger than the grave. If you can defeat death, you can defeat anything on this earth. You hear what I'm saying? So if Jesus can defeat death, surely you can beat the bottle. Some of us think I'll never get off the bottle because it's a disease. But I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. He healed every disease. See, he can. See, see, when I read the word, I don't have to be contempt. I can be encouraged to know that I'm, I'm bigger than this because he's bigger than this. He's still greater than this. I can get off the bottle. I can get off the drugs. I can control my hormones. I can control my whatever it is I can because he is. That's why he speaks to us. But we got to let that word abide in us. Every day it's got to stay there. It's got to resonate. Because we don't get out of sin so easily. Some of us think that you just lay hands on somebody and then the sin's going to stop. 
And that happens for some people. It does. But for most of us, and I say 95% of us, that's not going to happen. There's going to be struggles. God's calling you out of fornication, but you're going to go back every once in a while. You see what I'm saying? God's calling you out of some things, and you're going to slip up every once in a while. But he's still calling you. He ain't stopped calling you. He ain't stopped touching you because he still knows who you are, and he still got purpose and destiny for it. And so it's a day-by-day thing. But if that word abides in us, don't, don't, don't quiet it. Let the word abide. Let it resonate. Let it speak loud. Let it say what what it needs to say so that it can do what it needs to do in our lives. So yeah, your, 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 your relationship will get better. You can't walk around every day saying, this relationship is doomed. This relationship is doomed. This relationship is doomed. <laughs> Guess what? It's going to be doomed. Because we're not hearing what God is saying. We got to let, let what he's saying abide on the inside of us. Let it resonate. Let it stay there. Let it marinate. Let it continue to speak to us on a day-by-day basis. I got to go. But listen, last thing he says. He says, abiding in Christ's love determines the measure of our joy. Abiding in Christ's love determines the measure of our joy. The more we abide in him, the more joy we're going to experience. But he said, Jesus says this, he says, I say this to you that my joy may remain with you. He says, I want you to have what I have. Sometimes it's hard to find a mentor, right? Because some people don't want to help you get, come on in here, (laughs) don't want to help you get to a place where you can have what they have. (laughs) But Jesus is not like that. He says, I want you to have the joy that I have. And I'm going to give you the secret is to abide in the father. You know what Jesus's joy was? It was this. He knew who he was in God. He knew who he was in God. But they call me out my name. So what? I know who I am in God. So they plotting on me on the job. So what? I I know who I am in God. You follow? Let's look at Jesus. Jesus was on a cross. Calvary's cross. Getting ready to die for you and I. People were spitting on him. People were lying on him. People were saying all kinds of things to him. But none of that bothered Jesus. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, when he took our sin, he had to become sin for you and I. And so for the second, the moment that that the father had to see him as being sin, that the earth went dark. It was dark because, because God had to turn from his son. 
That's the only moment that he really cared about, is that how the father saw him in that moment. But guess what? I know Jesus was reminded of Psalms chapter 30, verse number 11. He said, his anger endures but for a moment. He said, his anger endures but for a moment. But his favor is for life. I got great news for you. You may be going through, and it may be a difficult situation, but his anger only endures but for a moment. But his favor is for life. God's favor on my life is for lifetime. It's, 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 it's done. This is a lifetime membership. I'm favored. See, I don't have to pay another dime for this. It's a lifetime membership. I'm good. I am favored. I am a favored child of the Most High God. I don't have to do another thing. I don't have to do another twirl. I don't have to do another good work. I don't have to do anything. I'm already favored because that's my position. I know who I am. I am favored. And even if I'm going through a difficult situation, that's why he says weeping may endure for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Because joy is my destiny. Because I am favored. Even though I might be going through, guess what? I'm still favored. Even though I don't have a money in my bank account, guess what? I'm still favored. Even though this marriage is real rocky right now, guess what? I'm still favored. Even if she walks away or he walks away, guess what? You're still favored. You're still favored. Even if they take the house, guess what? You're still favored. Because that's our position. And Jesus never lost his joy because his position in Christ never changed. His position in the Father never changed. He knew who he was. He said, I am the Son of God. And guess what? There's good news for us. Our position is not changed. And he wants us to have that same joy on the inside. We are who Christ says that we are. And I don't care what we're going through, that ain't going to change. And so he doesn't want us to have half joy. Come on and hear somebody. He doesn't want us to have low joy. He wants us to have fullness of joy. And so our joy ought to be full because that's what he has. If he has fullness, guess what? We've got some fullness. If he has greatness, guess what? We have greatness on the inside of us because that's our joy. That's our heritage. That's who we are. Come on and stand to your feet. Give God praise for the fullness of joy. Keep your joy full. Keep your joy full. Keep your joy full. I don't care what you're going through. Keep your joy full because that's your heritage. That's who you are in Jesus is the fullness of joy. Be where he is, fullness of joy. Stay where he is, fullness of joy. Be exactly where he is, fullness of joy. He's on the inside of you. Guess what? Fullness of joy. His word abides in you. Guess what? Fullness of joy. The church has to look a lot different. It's not that we don't go through things. We go through the same stuff everybody else goes through. That's why he says in Thessalonians, he says, when someone passes away, he's where he's like, we don't mourn like them who have no hope. We have a hope. It's in Jesus. And so, yes, we're going to mourn, but we still have hope. We got to look different. As we go through our lives, we got to look different. We got to have joy. The world needs us to have the fullness of joy. 
Not sad sack, broke up like everybody else. <laughs> Trying to do a little dance, make a little love, and get down tonight to get through it to the next day. No, no, no. We have <laughs> joy because we know who we are. We're children of the Most High God. We don't have to be braggadocious, but we can keep our shoulders square and our head held up because we know who we are. We're Christians. We're abiding in the vine. I want to pray for somebody today. You've been carrying this load yourself. Somebody wants to get free very quickly. You've been thinking this is about you, but you hear God telling you, this is not about you. It's about what I'm doing. Real quick, I want to pray for you. Everybody praying, and then we're going to be done. But somebody here, I hear it in my spirit. Somebody here is just carrying the load because they've been thinking it's about them, and it's really not. God is saying, this is about me. Watch what I'm getting ready to do.